Rebag is a luxury resale marketplace. They have a curated collection of investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry. Each piece is carefully vetted and verified by experts. You can buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Hermes, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 10% off your first purchase with code REBAG10. That's Rebag.com to get 10% off your first purchase with code REBAG10. Betches Media presents Donald Trump was a, a stain on our country. I'm someone's daughter, too. That's what I'm saying. So help me God. Congratulations, Mr. President. The Betches Sup Podcast. Mr. Vice President, I'm speaking. Hello, I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Sammy Sage. I'm Brian Russell Smith. And this is the Betches Sup Podcast, where C-SPAN meets the group chat to help you process and laugh at the biggest topics in U.S. news and politics. One of the biggest topics today is that a number of states have over half of their populations vaccinated, and it felt like it this weekend to me. I don't know about you guys. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, it feels like normal life. I went out in like the in Soho at like six o'clock. We went to dinner, and it was so crowded. Of like, people were everywhere swarms there's a lot of traffic too a lot of traffic which brings me to my opening question today for both of you what is something you realized you did not miss about pre-pandemic life this weekend i mean i didn't realize it this weekend but generally like you no longer have a built-in excuse to not do something like you actually have to like actually have a real thing. Yeah, I just had to explain to somebody why I did not attend their event and like I didn't have an excuse other than I I didn't come. (laughs) 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 You gotta get, you gotta like, you know, work your excuse. Well, my excuse was that it was hot, but that's not an excuse. (laughs) No, but like you gotta, you need like a real excuse, like Mm -hmm. something with Morty or I need to... I don't fucking know. What do you yeah. even do now? I did not miss getting hungover. Like I, ha- I was, I was didn't even, don't even feel like I drank that much. But I think when you're out and if you're out and about and you're just ordering vodka sodas, yes, they're giving you your shit vodka. And I forgot. Like I was like, oh, I need to now. I need to ask for like Tito's or something because I had like four and I woke up and I was like, I'm going to die. It was only like four. I mean, I'm sure I drank like two bottles of wine before that, but yeah, I saw like a meme that was like in your thirties, you realize that it's, it's being, not being hungover is better than being drunk. 100%. And then I had to go to my sister's baby shower. It was like kind of brutal. (laughs) The pacing (laughs) of drinking is a, is a surprise because like, you're out for a while and like you realize you have no sense of like how to pace a drink anymore. <laughs> I think that's what it was. I think that's what happened to me. That's true. At home, if I if I drink too much during the pandemic, which has happened, I just doze off. I'm never like, oh God, right. I got to process information and what people are saying. The thing I realized did, I did not miss, this is probably an obnoxious answer, but is fine dining. Um, <laughs> oh, <laughs> I went out for my anniversary over the weekend. We went to like First of all, we went to a restaurant that I should have looked up how nice it was before. Like, luckily, was I just, oh, it was, um, what's it called? One if by land, two if by sea. Very well That's known. very nice. Yes. I did not know. I did not know. What made you pick it? <laughs> it was our anniversary. I don't know, Mike, to pick something nice. But I don't know. If, if something has sea in the name, I'm like, it's casual. It's seafood. It's fine. So, like, oh. I, I, I it, my outfit was only acceptable because I was wearing my, my Gucci loafers, which is the only expensive thing I have. That's why it was like only okay. But it was like, they were also doing outdoor dining and the experience, obviously like those, these people are professionals. Fine dining is a profession, but it's like so much to do. And it's like, if I were outside, I'd be on top of the F train. Like, this is not, why are you doing this? Every time I get up, we felt insecure the whole time. I didn't know what to do with myself. I realized I didn't miss that. I hadn't been like self-conscious in a public setting and so long. And like I said, it's a profession. I have a lot of respect for it, but like, do we really need to like, do men really have to wear pants to dinner when it's 90 degrees? Come on. (laughs) I had a standing up for men. I had a thought like that when I went out for my birthday, because we went to, um, we went to somewhere like that would be considered fine dining on the Upper East side. Now I'm used to like scanning the menu with my QR code and like paying like immediately. Mm. And like, and those, like it almost sort of blew up the farce that is like all all those things are right. Because you're, you're sitting 
in like the, the outside thing and you're you've just done you've just like gotten back to dining that has been much more casual and it just all seems very it feels weird. very unnecessary and stuffy if you like it that's cool but i'm like i'd rather I mean, all I the money it. i give you love it i'd rather just all the money i give go right to like the people making it but but like i said it's a profession and it's cool but i did not i did not miss it i was mortified walking in there i was wearing like sammy do you know the pants that i wore to the betch's happy hour they're like anthropology like yeah crazy big balloon pants i looked ridiculous well, anyway. you could just, it could, could be a Luke, like just pretend you're one of those, like, you <laughs> exactly. know, in New York, you can kind of get away with that. That's but, the um, only reason you know, it was okay. Yeah. I love yes. dining of all, all kinds, dining di- anywhere, mm-hmm. literally, like you could put me in a dive bar or you could put me in per se. And I'm like, probably equally happy. Like I can find joy in you each. Know, and you know what I'm realizing about my personal my experience over the weekend is that it was the first time someone else had been making my drinks. Mm-hmm for a year wow. and a half. Yeah. So I did, wasn't you able to, I wonder. didn't know how much I was drinking. That's what happened. Big it changes. is quite wonderful to have someone else make you a drink. Are we on a sure. politics podcast? What are yeah, we- sorry. <laughs> <laughs> right. Speaking of drinking too much, our first story today is about Penn State. Good news out of Penn State. <laughs> Penn State will stop using gendered binary terms like freshmen and upperclassmen. Officials approved a proposition recommending changing the nomenclature of college classes from freshman, sophomore, junior, and senior to first year, second year, third year, fourth year. I don't know if you're like me and you took another half year. I don't know. I guess I'd be like a four and a half year. We'll see. You'd be a fifth year. Fifth year. Fifth year. It's a super senior. Proud of it. Yeah. So this will take effect. It sounds like anywhere this type of information is listed, recruiting information. Uh, but according to the proposition, terms like freshmen and upperclassmen, those you can see because there's there's man in them, of course. Um, and those, they say, carry a strong male-centric binary character. But they added that terms like junior and senior run parallel to Western male father-son naming convention, which is something I had not considered. So this will take effect soon. I doubt there are any like punishments if you don't do it, but I do wonder if in a few months we'll start hearing about really defiant Penn State professors, excuse me, who like refuse to do this, but it hurts nobody. Hurts nobody to do this. Uh, Yeah. Hurts nobody. Yeah, it has no everybody. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds like Harry Potter too. Yeah. It also, I feel like, okay, yeah, sure. We're doing it for all like the quote unquote woke reasons, but also it almost feels like moving to the metric system of college naming. Like it's just a little bit more sensible. Mm -hmm. Love that. Yeah, that's true. Mm -hmm. Hurts no one. It makes perfect sense. Yeah. If it, if it, if it helped, if it makes people happier, great. It just makes sense too. Like it actually just kind of like, why do we need these names? Like they're like, okay. Right. Exactly. (laughs) I also think, I mean, I agree with this because I saw I'm on a campaign to name my son. If I have one Mandy and Mike thinks that's ridiculous. He thinks it's thinking. Yeah. Like after myself. (laughs) Because I think that more women should name their children of any gender after them. I think more women should name their sons after them. I think that should be a thing. Oh, interesting. I'd be Lori. Samuel. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Nothing yeah. wrong with that. You wouldn't think that's weird. I kind of think it's weird when men name their sons after You know them, what? Though. That's true. Maybe just give people an original name. Right. Well, we yeah. all have our parents' last names, so. Right. I also <laughs> think you should just be able to invent your name. Choose your whole new name. Yeah. That would be great. So is there any culture that does that? I don't know. Okay. Well, last I'm names sure are is. like also like a, an invention. Yeah. So our first names. <laughs> it's all a farce. What are we even doing here? Yeah. <laughs> hey, American Fever Dream listeners. I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you are searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone on any occasion. Now it's easier to find gifts made by independent sellers for all of the people in your life, like the pickleballers, I know plenty of those, the jazz fan, the artist, the pasta lover, whatever niche interest they have, you can find an incredible gift on Etsy. From 90s nostalgia and mixology to reality TV and gaming, there is something for everyone. There is so much pressure around gifting. I usually have a hard time thinking of gift ideas specifically for my dad, but my dad loves flying. He loves airplanes. He loves aviation, and he never gets sick of a cute little gift that has a reference to that. And the inventory for that on Etsy is incredible. I hope my dad lives for 200 years because I can get him a birthday present related to aviation or planes from Etsy for every single one of them, if not 
hundreds and hundreds of years more. There really is that much. A gifting moment is always around the corner, but whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you, Gift Mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. So for our next story, the New York Police Department is stepping up its presence among the city's Jewish communities following two, even more, a number of hate-related incidents in Brooklyn over the weekend, in addition to some spread out across Manhattan. And there have also been a rise in attacks throughout the New York metro area in recent months, along with just in recent years, along with white supremacist violence comes Nazis on the street again. And we have been talking up for a while about how domestic terrorism timed into, tied into that is an increase in anti-Semitic attacks. The attacks recently have come as tensions flare between the Israeli military and Hamas, even as the ceasefire between the two has held. Now, a lot of these incidents are being adjudicated properly, which I've been heartened to see. There have been arrests made in a lot of these, but a lot of them are not, and they keep happening. So Jewish groups are calling on President Biden specifically to speak out more forcefully against these attacks and have met with, I know our mayor has met with Jewish leaders to figure out how to protect these communities more. Our mayor. Cool. Our mayor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Our lame duck mayor. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's OK. I, I know like we spent literally the whole last week saying like, oh, you can criticize the Israeli government without being anti-Semitic. And maybe some people can. But I feel like what we've learned is that like a lot of people can't handle that privilege and mm. the average person like is not able to separate it. And I kind of understand why, because I even feel like American Jews have a hard time separating it for themselves. So I just think the average person isn't able, like on the whole, people are not able to separate those things, which is what led to this increase in attacks like, it's also intent versus impact, I realize. I mean, there is right. a certain language that in a vacuum seems completely fine and like it applies perfectly to the context. But then when you widen out to like, just I think like people were really upset to see last week, like just how quickly and eagerly large groups of people can turn on Jews specifically um, was quite alarming yeah. Um, and does, I th- yes, I mean, I've talked a lot about this, just, you don't have to, you don't want to overcorrect, but there is times where you have to consider intent versus impact. And of course the intent of something can be to use neutral language, but the impact from somebody who is getting information from a place that is not using neutral language, it's, it's extremely tricky. It's why people have spent the last couple of weeks trying to say like, oh, be careful. Some parts are complicated. Um, And I think now we're seeing why that is. Well, you're not seeing any of these like anti-Semitic attackers being like, (laughs) and the settlements in their attack, they're like, they're like death to Jews. Like it's not, they're not like, we hate BB's policies. Like, and and then like going for these attacks. It's like, clearly um, it just sort of even, it's sort of an inevitable effect of the conversation, like that these things come up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, and it's like, this is not, I'm not trying to make a parallel between the motivations or anything, but it's like, of course we saw these anti-Asian hate crimes in the context of a pandemic. Like there were anti-Asian hate crimes before that there will be anti-Asian hate crimes long after, but in that context, people are, are angered towards them. And I see, I saw some like infographics. I'm so fucking sick. I'm glad we've all learned <laughs> about infographics now. I feel like tomorrow is like the one year anniversary of Instagram graphics and we can stop them now. But <laughs> mm-hmm. I saw one going around calling the um, the anti-Semitic attacks and tone of, of protests in, with solidarity with Palestinians as widely prevalent. And I don't think that's true. I, these attacks are like isolated. And then there's another element of like, as we were talking about the language, just not being used appropriately. And I'm sure there are actors that like manipulate this moment and that causes some tension, but the attacks themselves are not a very prominent feature of most of the protests related to the occupation. Yeah. I mean, I just think also like sometimes people don't really understand like the same with any, any group. Um, And when you start to talk about like discriminatory, you know, content Mm -hmm. or, like historical tropes that sort of have a meaning that people not may not be widely aware of. Like, I think that's why it starts to like, people may not even realize that what they're, what they're saying suggests an anti-Semitic trope and they're 
think a good example was um, the CNN interview where I can't remember the anchor's name, but she interrupted um, an official from Pakistan who who made a suggestion that like Israel's deep pockets were impacting the the media's. That's um, a perfect coverage. example. And there are absolutely ways to to tr- to suggest that Israel has an upper hand from a PR point of view, like. But yeah. to suggest mm-hmm. that they are using deep, that's a conspiracy. That's an anti-Semitic conspiracy. Just say that. That's been my issue with all of this. It's like, you can just say that it's abusing their human rights. Like the stuff mm-hmm. that the Israeli government has done is bad enough to just say. So I, that's why I've been so confused by the anti-Semitism. Well, I don't think people realize. Like, I think yeah. that unless you like live up close with Jews and many people don't, and that's fine. You don't necessarily realize that, that the phrase deep pockets has a different meaning than the U S funds X amount of money per year. Like, right. And I think that that that's okay. But I sort of, what I wish is that people would give the same respect to the Jewish community in like acknowledging those tropes and how they can be dangerous. And when we say that they are there. Yeah. Yeah. Like I believe it when we say that they're there, Sarah, our editor-in-chief sent me a stat yesterday. She was like, that like the ADL found that, I want to find it, 67% of people don't care if a Jewish person thinks something's anti-Semitic, which is like so the opposite of how any other group works. I think it's because they don't believe us when we say it's anti-Semitic. Like people that are new to this conversation saw that interaction on CNN. They're like, the guy that's not anti-Semitic, I can't understand how that would be anti-Semitic. And I can see why if they're, they've never, like you said, Sam, you're like, if you're not up close with Jews, which I forget because I have right. always been up close with Jews. There's Same. never been a part of my life. I wasn't surrounded by Jews. Even when I was yeah. in places where they weren't there, we found each other. But like, it's 0.2% right. of the population. And I understand that's why people get really, ups- really, really concerned. Well, it's just it's the same with any, you know, group or minority. It's like if someone says something is anti-Semitic or if someone says something is racist or if someone says something is homophobic, transphobic, sexist, whatever, then it's their experience and you just need to listen to it. it that's what it is. It, that, right. You know, there's no other way to dispute it. And what we don't say, we've also spent the week saying it's not anti-Semitic to criticize the Israeli government. That is not anti-Semitic, but you can get outside of that so quickly. Right. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, and I think the whole point is that people don't realize how quickly they get outside of it. And they also, mm-hmm. once they get outside of it, they're like, fuck you, I don't care. Don't right. And like, that's <laughs> fine. Like, we allow space for learning and unlearning. Like, people allow space for us. So, like, yeah, I guess that that was the surprising thing to see a little less resistance to, like, Jews saying some of this stuff is is be careful um, and now we're seeing why, why that was the case. So these attacks, I've seen a lot of like, everybody condemn these attacks. I think everybody has condemned these attacks. These attacks have been universally condemned from anybody that we would expect to condemn them, um, including a lot of people you might not expect to condemn them even. But some politicians continue to appropriate the Jewish experience to peddle their own agendas. Enter Marjorie Taylor Greene, who we do try to be disciplined about when we talk about, even though she's there's so much to talk about. But this weekend, she doubled down on her analogy and that Nancy Pelosi requiring unvaccinated House members to continue wearing masks was equivalent to Jews being told to wear a gold star during Nazi Germany. Let's play a clip. This woman is mentally ill. You know, we can look back in a time in history where people were told to wear a gold star and they were definitely treated like second class citizens, so much so that they were put in trains and taken to gas chambers in Nazi Germany. And this is exactly the type of abuse that Nancy Pelosi is talking about. Well, let's talk about the queen of the house of hypocrites. And so I stand by all of my statements. I said nothing wrong. And I think any any rational Jewish person didn't like what happened in, in Nazi Germany. And any rational Jewish person doesn't like what's happening with overbearing mass mandates and overbearing vaccine policies. Do you understand, though, why some would be upset and offended by the comment? Well, do you understand how people feel about being forced to wear masks or being forced to have to take a vaccine? Oh, man. Oh, wow. She she has some real issues with projection. You know, like the first thing she says is like, she is mentally ill. It's like, whoa. And then just follows it up with a 
tangent of like race or anti-Semitic so nonsense. Oh Every my God. Every Republican just like projects their own issues onto Nancy Pelosi. They're like, she's yeah. a drunk. She's <laughs> mentally ill. Yeah. Her, her teeth are falling out. It's like, yes, yes sir. <laughs> I know. <Yeah>. <laughs> <gasps> why is this gross? And why is, why is she doing this now? Does she have a strategy or is she just making inappropriate Holocaust jokes that happen to be what? Why did she say this? I like the, you're you're asking me to make sense of what Marjorie Taylor Greene is doing. Like yeah. listening to her, like I get that pit in my stomach that I often get when I hear someone often in power say something so stupid that I'm just like, oh, why are it reminds me how dumb people can be, and I'm like, oh no, I forgot. It's hard to make sense of it because it makes like no sense. It's yeah, true. It's like it's like when we were listening to it, I just like I couldn't help but make facial crazy like it's unhinged. But you know, it's like a person who has a platform in Congress saying this shit, which is all like you're saying, like equally scary. Right. Marjorie Taylor Greene should never be allowed to reference Jews, Jewish history, Jewish space lasers. Any element of just stay away from us. Right. It's just funny that she is talking about like any rational Jew, but she says we have space lasers like QAnon's whole thing is that Jews are maybe it's I don't know. It's at least track with your own conspiracies, Marjorie. Does she think that if she wears a mask, someone's going to take her away and and kill her is like. What? We like, I don't want to keep un- her alive. We want her to survive. I know. <laughs> like that's like that's that's why this the comparison just like also like apart from being like gross and disgusting, just makes no sense. Yeah, there were other. I can't remember if it was her or somebody else tried to suggest that Nancy Pelosi was actually trying to like um, shove them all together to like cause injury to them, but like. She used another very common anti-Semitic trope, which is like that Jewish people like Donald Trump did this too. any rational Jewish person Mm -hmm. would vote for me, like using the history of the Holocaust to to motivate a a Jewish like preference, which like sometimes there's again, it's a line. There are invocations of that when it comes to like the human rights issues in the occupied territories, where I do think it's useful to say, look, we have a social justice as part of our history and we need to consider that here. But yeah, you can't then suddenly say if any rational Jew, any Jew worth their, <laughs> worth their any kosher Jew. salt. Kosher <laughs> 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 salt is wonderful to cook with. I will say that. Oh, excellent. You can be very generous yeah. with it. Yeah. <laughs> Especially when you're eating pork. (laughs) Bacon wrapped pork. Oh, gosh, stop. So let's check in on the GOP's other golden girl, Liz Cheney. Trigger warning. I got two trigger warnings for you on this one. Rape and suicide and child sex offenses. So three. So Liz Cheney, the Wyoming congresswoman, faces a challenger for the state single house seat in state Senator Anthony Bouchard. Bouchard acknowledged last week that when he was 18, he had sex with a 14-year-old girl, which is statutory rape in many states, and that she became pregnant. She had the child, and she and Bouchard married when she turned 18. She died by suicide a few years later. Bouchard described this as a Romeo and Juliet story, which is very confusing because I don't think they had an age difference. I think their tension was that they came from different families, but... Mm-hmm. Maybe that played a role in Florida where this happened. This relationship would have been illegal. Also, he should be dead, too. <laughs> <laughs> True. It gets I don't want to say this is worse, but while the story was about to break in a Florida newspaper, Bouchard got ahead of it. And he claims he came forward because he wanted to make a point about abortion. He said that marrying the girl and taking care of the baby was the only choice he had because they faced pressure from their families to terminate the pregnancy. And it was his responsibility to save the baby. Um, again, How is this not child's marriage? It, well, they waited until she got 18 to get married, but she was already pregnant and was so going she's pregnant to have at 14, had the baby at like 15, let's say. And then she was like attractive to get married to him at 18. Yeah, they got then they got divorced and then she ended her life um, after marrying this older man and being forced to have his child. And now he's running to be in Congress. Oh, my God. Congress really gets some true fucking wackos. So the point he wants to make about abortion is that he's 
she should have had one or that she should know that have had. that it's OK. His point is that, yes, it was like a, an undesirable scenario, but he did the right thing, at least by keeping the baby. And then the woman ended her life, (laughs) which does not really seem like a positive outcome. And to me, completely. I mean, who knows why this person ended their life. Illegally had sex with her. Yeah. (laughs) Did she love him? Like, is that was that why they call it a Romeo and Juliet story? Like, was she? She's not alive to say. Yeah. Does he think is that is that like at all believed to be the case? No, no. That was just a dumb quote he said. He said um, that. Okay. Yes, yes. Yeah, it's in quotes. Bouchard described this as a Romeo and Juliet story. Do we think oh, that this will have enough, like, do we think this, you know, help, like, like in terms of Liz Cheney staying in Congress? Well, this is why it's really concerning because we talk, yeah. we've been talking more on the show about how, like, anybody can get elected to be a state senator, which to me is like, runforsomething.com.org, like, it can be you. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I'd rather be one of our listeners than one of these people. But in Wyoming, so fewer than 250,000 people voted in Wyoming's 2020 congressional race. Wyoming does not have a lot of people. They only have one congressperson. So whoever becomes Wyoming's representative, like they really don't have to win too many votes. Like this guy does not have to win that many votes to to compete against her in the primary. I suppose if he beat her in the primary that maybe we could have a Democrat win like what happened um, when Doug Jones victored over Roy Moore. But I, I don't know, I guess I, now we have precedent for sex, child sex offenders running for national mm-hmm. office. Mm-hmm. And succeeding. What the fuck? Like, I guess I'm now having the second feeling of the day after hearing Marjorie Taylor Greene <laughs> quote. <laughs> like that pit of like, holy fuck, we share a planet with these people. I know. It's sick. So I don't know if she's starting to like anticipate a real threat to her seat by an admitted sex offender, but Liz Cheney seems to have formally ended her relationship with reality when it comes to voter suppression and whether or not it is happening. So speaking with Axios reporter Jonathan Swan last night, she declined to comment on whether the big lie, which she has denounced, is at all connected to voter suppression laws gaining steam in red states. Let's listen. I don't think anyone doubts that the reason 400-some voting bills have been introduced, 90% by Republicans, supported by the Republican National Committee. I don't think it's a coincidence after the election that this has happened. Look, I think everybody should want a situation and a system where people who uh, ought to be able to vote and have the right to vote can vote, and people who, you know, don't, shouldn't. And and again, I come back to things like but what problem are they solving for? Like, there's well, not, like what look, are I mean, all these states doing? No, I think I, well, each state is different. What was the big problem in Georgia that needed to be solved by a new law? What was the big problem in Texas? What was the big problem in Florida? What was the these, these laws are coming all around the states? And like, what are they solving for? I think you've got to look at each individual state law. But I think what we can all agree you can't on divorce them from the context. Well, like, yeah, but I think what we can agree on is that what is happening right now is really dangerous. And I, and I can agree with that. You know, when I think about 2000, think about sitting on the inaugural platform in January of 2001, watching Al Gore. Of course, you know, we had won. I'm sure he didn't think he had lost. Mm-hmm. We had fought this politically very, very intense battle and he conceded. He did the right thing for this nation. And that is that is one of the big differences between that and what we're dealing with now and, and the danger of Donald Trump today. Thoughts? Okay. She wouldn't answer the question, basically. She, she was basically saying that, you know, you have to look at each individual state despite him proving that it's all only really happening because of Donald Trump saying it, the right. big lie. Quote Even unquote. in Texas and Republicans, and which Trump won. He, yeah. Or it's Texas frustrating how quickly everyone was like, Liz Cheney speaks for truth. And like, she's just, she's just like everyone else. She's her last, look at her last name. You know, it's. You know. She, she did like one good thing and she took a hit for it. And then like, again, we're, but she's not willing to lionize people. Yeah. It's like, she's not willing to stick with it. She's like, it's early enough in the cycle that maybe I can now pivot and like have that in my back pocket and now just go along with the rest of what they're saying. What's really disarming to me is that listening to it, she and Stacey Abrams have a very similar sounding voice. <laughs> so it's really weird to hear her say like, nobody, there's real problems with voting. Some people should not vote. But yeah, well, when yeah, you, that, 
that's what I wanted him to ask. Be like, he's like, some people who want to make sure people who shouldn't be vote. Yeah. Like, who are you talking about? Who is the, who are the people who are voting in mass that should not be voting? Like, like who is it? And there is just no, there's just no answer. Right. Ma'am, like if this were an actual democracy, to be frank, these 800,000 people in your state would not have two senators while the 800,000 people in DC have none. Like Mm -hmm. why you might not want to push this Liz. (laughs) Right. I think she's trying to like basically hedge against like she's trying to basically go as far as she can into like Republican crazy town without uh, still while still maintaining some sort of like semblance of, oh, I'll stand for democracy. But like I I don't understand democracy, not true democracy. Right. I don't understand what what her goal is, because nothing that she's done, she has had any consequences no and knowing that she and she did them knowing that they would have zero consequences apart from her losing her role in her leadership it's not like it's not like oh she voted for impeachment and donald trump got impeached or she spoke this truth and everyone rallied behind her she knew that nothing was going to change so i'm just like what are you trying to do like uh, are you trying to position yourself like some like right in a more centrist role for a future or are yeah. you like because why not just get out of politics at this point? Like, why she's are you still Cheney. here? Yeah. Yeah, she's a career politician. So she's like trying to, she's like on probation. She's just trying to figure out how to keep her. That's the thing. It's like most of these people, they have jobs just like us. They're not thinking about like, oh, well, how can I make sure I'm reelected so I can continue helping my constituents and yeah. make yeah. sure that like, no, she's like, shit, how do I keep my job? And those are the calculations that she makes or how she keeps her job. Some people... I'm sure there are Democrats that think that way, and they happen to also have mm-hmm. push policies we like, but she doesn't. So, bye. <laughs> yeah. Maybe exactly. there will be a really cool Democrat that is able to unseat whoever runs in Wyoming. I mean, I don't know. I think about, yeah, <laughs> yeah nobody's like, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, really cool Democrat okay, from Wyoming. <laughs> I mean, they're there. People do keep running against them. I think I was looking at the congressional race in, in 2020 and she got about like 155,000 votes and the democratic challenger got about 66,000. So it's not, it's quite a gap, but it's not mm-hmm. like, it's not unthinkable. I mean, I don't think a Democrat could beat Liz Cheney, but I think a Democrat could beat a child sex offender. But for Wyoming's sake and for all of our sakes, I do hope Liz Cheney wins her primary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for real. Oh, uh, should I say? <laughs> That is our show, but stick around for an interview I did with Amani of Muslim Girl. She is a Palestinian Jordanian activist. I wanted to note that we chatted last week before the ceasefire and just a little bit more increased reporting on the severity of some of the anti-Semitic attacks. I just wanted to give you that context in which we were discussing this, but we focused on how to continue to center this discussion in our social justice conversations, especially the best, most productive way to discuss this issue on social media, which I know has been top of mind for many people. Um, Also, make sure you check out Sammy's interview with Marissa Cavis from Friday. I think that's a really important perspective to listen to, especially if you've kept up with some of our other interviews with Dr. Yara Hawari and um, today's with uh, Amani of Muslim Girl. Hey there, overwhelmed foodies. Are you drowning in a sea of meal kit options, feeling like you're in a bad dating game where every contestant looks the same, with the same fish picture? Fear not, because amidst the chaos, there's one shining star worth your culinary affection. Home Chef is not just another fish in the meal kit sea. They're the gourmet catch that you've been dreaming of. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes, conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. Whether you prefer classic meal kits with pre-portioned ingredients and easy instructions, speedy recipes ready in less than 30 minutes, oven-ready kits with pre-chopped ingredients, or quick microwave meals that assemble in minutes, Home Chef has you and the entire family covered for delicious meals without the hassle. Home Chef has over 30 options a week, and they serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it is economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. So for a limited time, Home Chef is offering our listeners 18 free meals plus free shipping on your first box and free dessert for life at homechef.com slash feverdream. That's homechef.com slash feverdream for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash feverdream. You must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. Hello, everybody. It is Amanda. And today I am here with Amani, the founder of MuslimGirl.com and a Palestinian Jordanian activist. We're so thrilled that you are here with us today. Thank you. 
Thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here. I was um, I was tell- going to tell you right before we started that I remember I worked at HuffPost and I remember in like 2014 having writers interview you. You have been doing social media activism. You were like either a founding adopter or a very early adopter you're, and you're still here. <laughs> Thank you so much. For sure. I mean, I'm really proud of the fact that, you know, we kind of recognized early on the potential of social media to place the power in the hands of girls like us to be able to have the mic and and really talk back and be heard for once. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I wanted to sort of start from that perspective because you've been in this space for so long. I want to talk about what we're seeing across social media. And you gave an amazing perspective on this to the New York Times this week um, about just how pronounced the social media reaction has been. Obviously, This particular escalation of violence in the context of the occupation has followed a period in the U.S. of unprecedented political engagement, especially when it comes to social justice. So we were going in with that kind of framework. Do you think that that has factored into what we're seeing happen via social media and people getting engaged now? I mean, I think that even the increased political engagement, honestly, is a result of the younger generation really rising up and getting on social media and really bringing a whole new breath of fresh air in terms of the types of things that we're not going to let slide anymore. I think that, uh, you know, that that emergence of young voices at the forefront of a lot of the progressive issues that we've been fighting for, that has really translated over to the Palestinian cause as well. And of course, it's important to recognize that The Palestinian issue has been a result of decades of organizing that has gone into it by folks that have been directly impacted and have put in a sacrifice that uh, was much riskier, much riskier to speak out about these human rights in in really, um, you know, uh, very pressing ways. But I think that the this emergence on social media has been a breath of fresh air. It's kind of brought a, a certain level of relief to a lot of the work that has been done. Yeah, relief is such a such a compelling way to put it. And this is very broad, but as you said, you are a Palestinian who has been talking about this a lot and you have, I assume, family members. This is such a broad question, but how has being Palestinian impacted your life and your family's life? Is there any part of your life it has not touched? The most obvious way that it's impacted my life is that it's made me so, so astutely concerned with justice. Uh, you know, from a very early age, it's kind of being exposed to a lot of the inequality, a lot of the injustice and seeing it firsthand, feeling it firsthand, that kind of brings this awareness that not all is right in the world. And there are issues far greater than things that we even experience in our daily lives that are worthy of us to fight for. Um, You know, I think that Also being Palestinian brought a different level of adversity for me in navigating my life, both as a a child and as a young woman today. I still even remember when I was in high school and my parents being worried about me wearing a kafiyah to school because of how it would be received, you know, um, something that's just a cultural marker of mine. And obviously there's this level of dissonance that comes with feeling like you can't even speak out about your identity or be vocal about it because people say that it doesn't exist or they equate that you speaking out for your identity as inherently being anti-Semitic, like your existence Mm -hmm. is anti-Semitic. And, you know, especially in our society today, it's been really, really difficult to kind of deal with those pressures um, and still, you know, unwaveringly have a strong voice against a lot of the the inequity that we're seeing. Mm-hmm. And as you said, I mean, we described you as an activist for Palestinians, but you're a social justice activist and you've been in this space for a long time and you're obviously uniquely ready for this moment because of your background. But something that I think has been really striking about people watching this is that Palestinian protests, Palestinian protesters have often faced like police violence and really strong reactions to their protesting in general, where everybody's paying attention right now because the bombings are happening. But what is happening? What happens when the bombings stop? Can you talk about what is happening to what the average Palestinian's life is like, let's say in, in Gaza after this? You know, we're seeing maybe there's a ceasefire in the next couple of days, but we're, you know, over 200 people dead, communities destroyed. I mean, we, talked, we spoke to Dr. Yarhawar yesterday and she said she knows many 
it's just not uncommon that somebody does not have an eye or a limb. So what comes after this and what is our responsibility as people interested in social justice moving forward? Amanda, that is the most terrifying part about this, because to me, I think that when things get quiet, that's when it's going to be even more dangerous than full on assault, because right now, obviously, all eyes are on Israel and what they're perpetuating against civilians. But once the social media dies down, once the um, the current assault kind of quiets, they're going to be able under the radar to get away with the ongoing human rights abuses that they've been perpetuating for literal decades now. Um, and I think that that's, that's the scariest part. You know, I mean, all we have right now is the social attention. And that's why in this moment, it's necessary for us to bring as much awareness and attention to this issue, issue as possible. So I want to talk a little bit more about the social media response. Have you seen anything in it that has concerned you? Obviously, this is a tense environment. Some people are just learning about the issue. Some people are very educated and being accused of just learning about it. People can get things wrong, but people can also accuse things about being wrong when they're not. What advice do you have for people who want to be an advocate but not contribute to any misunderstanding? It's really easy to fall into Christopher Columbusing something when it's brand new to you. You know, number one, please do not feel any type of shame or embarrassment for not knowing. Admit that you don't know. I mean, it's by design that you don't know. That's nothing to be ashamed or embarrassed of. And, you know, that is absolutely welcome. And we invite everyone to, you know, put in the research and really understand what the issue is all about. Um, What I have been seeing is sometimes folks that just start getting into understanding this might not be aware that there there is truly decades of uh, of work on this that has already been done. You know, decades of studies. There's there's actual historical texts that can be used as primary sources on this. Um, A lot of it has been well documented. A lot of. Uh, a, a lot of even our our living family members were alive during the Nakba and served mm-hmm. as primary re- resources themselves, you know. Um, and so my my advice is always to really just do the research, you know, don't rely on the social media posts. Obviously, those are an amazing gateway into, um, you know, acquainting yourself with the conflict and starting to understand it better, maybe starting to, to grapple with it more or relate to or connect with it. But it doesn't stop there. You know, that's just the starting point, And it's important to really just put in the work. Mm-hmm. Why is this a feminist issue? Why is the future of the Palestinians a feminist issue? You, I think this is what you're so good at. You spoke really compellingly about this, I guess, most recently with French, with France banning the hijab in public spaces. Mm-hmm. You're really good at highlighting how, um, you know, obviously, if women are oppressed one place, they're oppressed everywhere. But how specifically is the future of the Palestinians an issue that is an intersectional feminist issue? You have to look at who the number one victims are in the situation. Disproportionately, women and children. Women are being widowed. Children are being killed. And the violence is something that has been absolutely catastrophic for a lot of families across the the, uh, occupied Palestinian territories right now. If anything, I think that the first immediate concern for the entire feminist movement should be the fact that approximately 30% of casualties are children. Um, I think that just today, there was a report released that in one of the only existing trauma centers in Palestine to deal with the mental health issues they're experiencing under occupation have been killed in the past few days. It's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking for me to even like talk about right now, to be honest with you. Um, But it's just, it's innocent people, you know, and even just looking beyond that, if you want to get into the history of colonialism and the occupation and how that has always rested on the backs of women of color It's always been perpetuated by wreaking violence on the women first. Um, That's that in conjunction with the economic crisis that it's creating. I mean, we were just talking about what happens when social media gets quiet. I mean, not many people know that even in Gaza, they only have access to electricity for a few hours a day. Electricity. This is 2021. 
it's 2021. There's absolutely no one on this planet that should be living in an existence like that, you know, and especially not underneath a, 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 an occupying yeah. power. It's like 70% unemployment or something, right? If yeah. one proclaims to care about women's and gender issues, this absolutely needs to be something that they are concerned with, what is happening to the Palestinian people right now. Um, and there's no way that we can really eradicate our liberation without the liberation of the Palestinian people. So I also wanted to ask you while we have you about your run for Congress. You ran for Congress in New Jersey, right? Are you planning to do that again? Is Do you see like public service as a potential avenue for your social justice? To be honest, I never even imagined myself running this early on in my life, but I felt compelled to take action because of the pandemic crisis that hit and just the complete ineffectiveness of the leaders that we have in power. So I, I can't confidently say that I won't feel that way again. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, to continue, I realized to continue what we were talking about before, we we're talking about the impact of the occupation on women. And as you were talking, I was thinking, you know, it's so easy for us to see how things disproportionately impact women in our country. Like, as you mentioned, devastatingly, 11 children who had been, been treated for trauma died in a bombing. Close to 100% of kids in Gaza have trauma. I'm sure we have listeners mm -hmm. who are moms who know how trauma impacts kids, and it does not make parenting easier on top of how many widows there are. I mean, also, you know, entire families are being wiped out you know, entire lineages. Uh, there's this tweet that's been circulating online that um, there are families in Palestine that are spreading out their kids. You know, families are exchanging kids with one another and separating them across different houses so that just in case they get bombed, the entire family doesn't get wiped out and like someone will survive and continue on the family name, you know? Wow. So That's devastating. And you know what? I've also heard that some families have always made it a tradition of going to the same place in the house. So I can't imagine that calculation of like, do I want my name to carry on or do I want to have to mourn a family member? There was one Palestinian mother that tweeted that that night she put all of her kids to sleep in the same room with her so that if, God forbid, something happened, none of them would survive to mourn each other. I mean, this is heartbreaking. And we were talking about before, uh, you know, the conditions in Palestine and, and why it is a feminist issue. I mean, even looking at just the environmental situation there too, you know, it's, it's impossible to ignore that Gaza has been under a blockade for so long now that you see all of this destruction that is not going to be rebuilt anytime soon. You know, no construction materials getting in there, um, no outside resources. So this is, it, and it's intended to be irreparable damage. It's intended to make, make this area unlivable for the native Palestinians that live there. And, you know, that is in large part why the Human Rights Watch intervened and, and deemed this an apartheid. And I think why it's, it's impossible to kind of sweep it under the rug in front of the international community now. Yeah. I have two more questions for you, and they're sort of related. My first one is, what do you wish more people would ask you, whether it's about this topic specifically or just in your life? What do you wish more people asked you? That's a really good one. Because my second one is... Um, the journalist we interviewed yesterday did a really great spin on this question. And she said she she said she could tell me what she knew people, what she wished people would stop asking her, which was about Hamas. And I thought that was such mm. an important thing. And I'm sure there are activists, Jewish, Muslim, Palestinian, American Jews, progressive Jews who just have something that they're sick of answering that they don't yeah. feel like is their duty to answer. Do you have anything like that? I think I would like to be asked more by people. How can I make an impact? How can I be influential? Because one thing that was really surprising to me was how many people thought that their input on social media was ineffective. And why should I even intervene? Why should I even try? Because I have two followers on my Twitter account and no one is even listening and I'm hopeless. Like, what can I do to change the world? And we see right now that it's been this, this growing chorus of voices of people that are making this more talked about in their immediate circles and their immediate communities that's opening up the discourse wide open for more people to ask questions and more people to feel comfortable to to show a different side of things so for me i think 
you know, it, it was really surprising to me. It, it shouldn't be, right? It's kind of naive to say in the social media era where we kind of reduce all of our value to followers and likes and all of that stuff. But when it comes to social impact, there's really no time to waste when it comes to injustice, when it comes to ending an occupation that's causing more devastation by the second. Every single voice counts. And even hearing from Palestinian people directly saying that this is a lifeline for us. You know, we need you to be talking about this more. Please ramp it up even more than this. You know, I, I want people to feel like their part matters and that they have a place in this movement, that they have a role in it. And it's like the butterfly effect. You know, if any single one of us was absent from this cause, it simply would not be the same. Yeah, I can just so feel your urgency about that, especially as we were talking about if and when in the next week these bombings end, um, that the attention stays there. So I will ask you that. How can we continue to make an impact? How can people stay involved? How can people center this in their social justice actions moving forward? Don't let anyone silence you. I think a huge reason why so much information has been left out for so long, why so many people were really just oblivious to what's been happening overseas is because of a lot of the misinformation that's been circulating and also because of the actual strategic silencing tactics to stop people from even asking any of those questions in the first place. One thing that I've been seeing a lot of is this, throttling of the open conversation by fixating on the concept of anti-Semitism, which absolutely is a problem that should be universally denounced by everybody. But that shouldn't be an excuse to stay silent on human rights matters. If anything, you know, especially having studied Judaism myself, I feel like it, it only is in the legacy of Judaism to raise those questions and to speak that truth to power. And I think that that's something that brings so many faiths together, you know? So I think that right now we're seeing finally people kind of making that, that distinction happen, yeah. that this doesn't have anything to do with religion. And we're not here to attack anyone from a certain background. This is an issue that impacts people from so many different um, faiths and so many different walks of life. And it's important for us to be able to freely criticize the actions of a government without feeling like we're going to be attacked for doing so. Yeah, that's so important. That's such a strong note to end on. Thank you so, so much for your time, Amani. We really appreciate it. And where can people find out more about you and Muslim Girl? Definitely, definitely check out MuslimGirl.com. We've been keeping all up to date about what's been happening with this escalation of violence and ways that people can help. Um, and also you can follow me on my social media at Amani. Um, you know, and there's also so many amazing, amazing campaigns out there and uh, a lot of incredible platforms to follow as well. Ion Palestine on Instagram has been doing just an impeccable job of round the clock coverage that I, I can't imagine has been easy for any of, of the, those team members involved. Um, and honestly, you know, I just really want to end on the call to action to hear from the people that are directly impacted by this. You know, yeah. don't don't just take what mainstream media, what mass media has to say about it. Go to the source, hear from the underrepresented voices that we don't usually get the chance to hear from about why this issue matters and how it's impacting them. And when you can, when you have the opportunity to elevate those voices, and it can be as simple as a retweet or a share of an article or just inviting other people to do the same and follow them. Yeah, that's great advice. Thanks again. Until the end of democracy, I'm Amanda Duberman, and this is the Betcha Sub Podcast. The Betcha Sub Podcast is produced by Amanda Duberman, Jorge Morales Pico, and Sean Kilby. Editing by Jorge Morales Pico. Social media by Amanda Duberman. Be sure to follow at Betches underscore sup on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok, and send us your emails to suppod at betches.com. Betches.